Hello. I want you to begin by imagining a small country town. People know one another, perhaps they've known each other for generations, they get together regularly, maybe in the pub or the club or something of that nature. But furthermore, imagine that there's a young boy or girl who's been born there, growing up there, I don't know, might be good with a cricket bat or a hockey stick or something like that, and they've shown to themselves to be brilliant in a certain area and then have risen through the ranks and have become famous. That particular town would be very proud of those people indeed. They would be following their progress as those people went around the world doing all their sorts of things. You could just imagine them in there in the pub looking at the television and cheering the particular person on. You could imagine if that boy or girl returned to that particular town or village or what have you, they would be welcomed with open arms. The red carpet would be rolled out. They'd be giving talks to the primary schools. They'd be given the keys to the, the town. Maybe there's a parade and so maybe they put a statue up in honor of them. There are all sorts of things that people could do to just say how proud they are of the particular person that has come from that particular town. Well, in the case of Jesus, <laughs> it wasn't like that at all. They, the people in the hometown of Jesus weren't gathered down at the pub in Nazareth, you know, cheering him on as the television showed the latest miracle that Jesus Christ was doing. Of course, they didn't have televisions, but you get the, the general point. They weren't actually supportive of Jesus. In fact, his family went to try and find him so that they could bring him home to Nazareth because he, they thought he was mad. But that said, he did actually return to his town on one occasion, and that's the passage that we're considering today. He was honoured by being given the opportunity to be able to teach in the synagogue, but it all went pear-shaped from there. Let's read this particular passage and hear God's word. Jesus has just uh, been involved in raising, in fact, raised this Jairus's daughter from the, the dead which was spectacular, and he's just come from Jairus's house in Mark's Gospel, and we read in chapter 6, verse 1, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples, his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief and he went about among the villagers. Teaching. Sorry, I lost that last word. He went about among the villagers teaching. Well, you would think that Jesus Christ would be welcome in his hometown. But what we do see is that Jesus effectively was rejected. Would you reject Jesus? Whether we accept or reject Jesus is the most important decision that we will ever make. There are many people who have rejected Jesus, or that's certainly the case at this moment. Hopefully they will accept. 
But the most important thing and the most beneficial thing that we could ever do is to, in fact, accept Jesus. This is a very sad situation. We don't want it to be the situation in our own lives and our own relationship with Jesus. Let's have a look, a closer look at this passage and see what we can learn. The first point I want to make is that faith is not always where you would expect it. The second point I want to make is that not everything Jesus says is easy to swallow. And the third point is, if you reject him, he will reject you. First point, faith is not always where you would expect it. You would think his hometown would welcome him. Not so. We're told in verse 3 that he gets this sort of title. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? That wasn't an exalted way of referring to Jesus. A contrast would be when Jesus encountered the Gerasene demoniac even before the demoniac, uh, sorry, the, the garrison demoniac was actually um, had all of those demons removed. Jesus is addressed as son of the most high God in chapter five, verse seven. That was a, the most exalted title in Mark's gospel to that particular point. But that sort of title was not being extended to Jesus. You would think that the disciples would be people who had perfect faith. That was not always the case. Jesus was often criticizing them for their lack of faith or their failure to be able to understand what was going on and what his ministry was about. You would think that they would be people who would be completely on top of it. You would think that God's people, the Jewish people, would welcome Jesus as he came into the world. But John chapter 1 verse 11 says, He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. There were some that did, and verse 12 goes on and says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Faith is not always where you would expect it. You might expect that everyone who goes to church has faith in Jesus. That's just not the case. It's been shown time and time again. People may be just starting to explore the Christian faith. You wouldn't necessarily expect them to have faith uh, even after a few times of going to church. It might be, it might be on the first occasion. But it might not be. It might take some, some time. There are lots of different sorts of people at different stages in a church community. Not everyone is going to have faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, you would think that the church leadership, the clergy, that they would have faith, that everyone would have faith throughout all of the clergy, throughout all the dioceses, throughout the world. But that's not always been the case either. Uh, if you go back to the evangelical awakening in the 18th century in the United Kingdom and in North America, one of the quite surprising groups of people who were converted through that massive work of God by him pouring out his spirit and leading people to faith in Christ was in fact the clergy of the Church of England. There were people who were who converted, who were in fact clergymen. They were already Christian leaders and it was only once they'd become Christian leaders, that they realized really who Jesus is and committed their lives to him. You would have thought that they would have had faith in their role before that, but that's not always the case. Faith is not always where you would expect it. The second point is, is that not everything Jesus says is easy to swallow. 
In this particular passage, we're not sure what Jesus said. We do know that they were astonished at what he was saying. We know that for sure. But we are helped by Luke's gospel, which goes into more detail and tells us that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. But it also tells us some other things that Jesus said, which really did cause offence. Um, I'm going to read this out and then I'm going to help you to digest it. He said this, but in, in Luke 4 verse 25, But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Zidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Now, what does all of that mean? Well, what's important for us to know is that Jesus is saying that God's grace effectively is extended to the enemies of Israel, the enemies of God's people, because Sidon and Syria were enemies of Israel. Now, that was really offensive to the people of Nazareth. They did not like what Jesus Christ said in verse 28 of chapter 4 in Luke's gospel. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Not everything that Jesus says is easy to swallow. In fact, this would be the case for Jesus' disciples as he sends them out. He sends the 12 out in the next passage, two by two, gives them various instructions. But one of the principal things that he calls them to do or wants them to do is to call people to repent. We learn that in chapter 6, verse 12 of Mark's gospel. He calls, they are to call people to repent. Now, calling people to repent is calling people to change, calling people to follow Jesus Christ and to acknowledge him as their Lord and Savior. That's a, that can be a very offensive thing for, for people to hear. That would have been in those days, and it would be no less so today. To say to someone, you need to stop what you're doing, acknowledge what you're doing is in fact the wrong thing, and you need to actually follow Jesus, is inconveniencing, but also it strikes deeper into their heart. They don't want to give up the lordship of their own lives. They're quite happy of being lord of their own manner, lord of their own lives. They don't want Jesus Christ to tell them what to do as it is revealed, as he is revealed and, and what he wants us to do in the Bible. They don't want that at all. They want to be their own entity. They want to live life their own, their own way. So even in our ministry today, not everything that we communicate that is relaying Jesus' message is going to be easy for people to, to swallow. So that's, I suppose, helpful. So to be forewarned is to be forearmed. It's helpful to know what the response of people could be. But it's also very important for us to make sure um, that, it that, that that is present in our, in our ministry, either the ministry we're sitting under or the ministry that we are extending to other people. If the ministry we're sitting under or the ministry we're extending to other people is all peaches and cream, we're just only ever hearing about, how, about God's love and about how wonderful eternal life is going to be and how great heaven is and all of these sorts of wonderful things, but are never hearing about repentance, never hearing about judgment, never hearing about hell, we're not hearing the full counsel of God. Okay, We're not hearing 
preaching or teaching that is actually challenging. But Jesus very often is seeking to challenge us. He's wanting to refine us. He's molding us. He's shaping us. And sometimes that can be hard. There's discipline involved as well. It's not, uh, it's just not, um, uh, you know, all um, straight down the line and, and all filled with peaches and cream. Not everything Jesus says is easy to swallow. And so that should be reflected in the ministry that we're receiving and the ministry that we are extending to other people. Now, that doesn't mean that we've got to intentionally tick a box and make sure that we've said something that Jesus would say that would offend someone. Not at all. We just need to proclaim what the Bible is actually saying. But it is good to, to sit back and think, well, am I actually proclaiming the whole counsel of God? Am I receiving the whole counsel of God? So faith is not always where you would expect it. Secondly, not everything Jesus says is easy to swallow. And we certainly saw that at Nazareth. The third point is, is that if you reject him, he will reject you. Now, I think this is a very serious point. I think I've remarked upon it in one or two other talks. If we do reject him, he will reject us. We see this in this particular passage. When Jesus was rejected from, from Nazareth, what did he do? He went on and he preached. Well, in fact, it says he, he taught, but that would be proclaiming the gospel in other villages around the Nazareth area. We're told that in verse six. So he moved on. He had no further communication with them. He took no further responsibility for seeking to proclaim the gospel, proclaim the message of the kingdom in that particular area. They rejected him. He rejects them. Okay. He would love it, of course, if they accepted him so that he could continue the ministry and the relationship. But if because they rejected him, he rejected them. Now, that is true today as well. If we reject him, he will reject us. It's not his desire that we would reject him. But if we do, he will reject us. It's very interesting that we see as the 12 go out, so as the, the next phase of his ministry, he's been preaching the gospel, but he sends the 12 out. He tells them, as he's sending them out, he says in chapter 6 of Mark's gospel, verse 11, And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Which is effectively saying, don't have any further communication with them. Don't have, you have no further responsibility. That's what Jesus is like. If we are people who will not listen, then Jesus effectively shakes off the dust from himself and he has nothing further to do with us. Now, there may be an opportunity for us to change our tune before Judgment Day, in which case he would be delighted and he would accept us if our faith is in him, because we're told in John chapter 1, as we've already covered, verse 12, that if we receive him, we are people who are made children of God. We are a part of his kingdom. We have eternal life with him, which would be the best, best situation. But here we are told that there is, of course, that alternative, that if we reject him, then we will be rejected. This rejection of Jesus comes about because of hardness of heart. We've touched on it already, that those people who are called to repent, they don't want to do that because they want to live life their own way. Our hard hearts is what, of course, leads to the actual rejection. So this passage is a rather sad passage because we see 
the rejection of Jesus. I mean, there are people who reject Jesus. There are people who reject Jesus today. But even back then, even when Jesus was in this world, Jesus was actually rejected by some people. So Jesus divides. Will you reject him or will you accept him? It's a very important question. And I really hope that you accept Jesus. Well, this negative side of unbelief, I think, emphasizes the importance of faith. We don't want to unbelieve. We don't want to not believe in Jesus. We want to actually have faith in Jesus. Jesus is the way. He's the life. You know, he is the, he is the way, the truth and the life. He is, he is the way that we should be going. We should be following him. We should be believing in him because he tells us that if we believe in him, not only do we become a child of God, we're forgiven for our sins, which enables that. We're members of his kingdom. We are people who have eternal life. That is life with God uh, forever. That is a wonderful future. Why wouldn't you want that? That can be ours if our faith is in Jesus Christ. So this is a passage that warns us about rejection. We don't want to be people who reject Jesus. In this particular passage, we see that faith in Jesus is not always where you would expect. Not everything Jesus says is easy to swallow. And if you reject him, he will reject you. Well, we've heard of some wonderful truths about Jesus in terms of who he is. You know, we've learned that he's the son of the Most High God. We've learned that he is someone who forgives sins, enables people to have these wonderful realizations that they're children of God and have eternal life and so forth. But I want to add three further things, because when we see how wonderful Jesus is, it's then that our faith grows or it's stirred up or it starts, it begins to, uh, to take place in Jesus Christ, right? So, so I want to try and sort of stir us up here. And I, I think the way we can do it is by seeing three things. First of all, let's go back to verse two. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? The inference there is that it's come from God. He has come from God. He is enabled by God. He is God, effectively, we can deduce from that. Well, if he is all of those sorts of things, he's someone I should be listening to. He's someone who I should be responding to in the way that he calls me to. And he says to have faith in him. So there is truth on the page in verse 2 that is showing us something magnificent about Jesus Christ. Why on earth wouldn't you believe in him? The second detail is in verse four, when Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. The only thing I wish to pick up from that at this point is that he says that he is a prophet. Now, that is incredible. He is a prophet. Now, he is more than a prophet, but he's no less than a prophet, and a prophet is an extraordinary person. The third thing, is something really, I love this point, I think, I just from what I see here in Scripture. Um, if you go to verse 5, it says, And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. That's a very interesting verse with many, many details that we could go into. But what I want to show is that I really do think that Jesus was in Nazareth and he wanted to do mighty works. 
That was his heart. He longed to do mighty works in, in Nazareth. He wanted to bless them. What was stopping him from doing that? It was their unbelief. Now, he did do a few, we're told there. I'm not sure how that all worked out. Maybe there were some who had faith or, or what have you. But maybe he was just particularly compassionate to some people who had severe cases. I, I'm not sure. But he certainly wasn't able to do, or, or certainly didn't do, everything that he could have, which would have been, I think, a series of mighty works. And that was because of their unbelief. The beautiful thing in all of that is that that was his desire. He wanted to be an immense blessing. Jesus Christ wants to be an immense blessing to you and me. He, he just doesn't want to give you, you know, economy class sort of experience of Christianity. He wants you to experience first class, you know. He, he just, his desire is, he is generous and he wants to bless us. He wants to give us the gift of salvation. He wants us to know today, right at this minute, that we are forgiven for our sins and we have life with God forever. He wants us to have that assurance. He wants us to be people who grow into his likeness. He wants us to be people who experience life to the full, full spiritual life. He wants us to be people who spend eternity, which is a very, very long time, with him. That's his great desire. Why wouldn't you want to believe in him? When you think about all of these details, when you put them sort of all on a, you know, in brush strokes and then start to fill in the picture, it's an amazing picture and it helps us to be people who go, yes, I want to believe in him. I don't want to reject him. I want to accept him. I want to receive him as my Lord and Saviour. That is his great desire for all of us. If that's not the case for you, make him your Lord and Saviour. Welcome him as your Lord and Saviour by putting your faith in him. If that's already the case for you, be reminded of who Jesus Christ is so that you are someone who is strengthened in your faith and you continue to follow him day in and day out, thinking he is the most amazing person ever. So don't be like the people of Nazareth. Don't reject Jesus. Accept him.